All right. Well, if you want to be making your way back to your seat, that would be great. We will. Uh, 90 seconds is up. <laughs> Been watching the World Cup soccer, and before the kickoffs there, they seem to be doing like a 10 second countdown, and everyone goes 10, 9, 8. It's a bit like we do at Kids Pub, so you could start doing that here. Anyway, good to welcome you here again uh, this morning. My name is Mark Rushworth. I'm one of the leaders here at Christ Central. And uh, over the last uh, month, year and a half, we have been working through the book of Ephesians, the letter to the Ephesians that Paul wrote. Uh, we're halfway through the letter, so I reckon at this rate, we will be through by the end of summer 2024. <laughs> Something to aim for. <laughs> Got a target there. Anyway, I hope you're not bored by it. Um, there's so much good stuff in this letter from Paul to the church in Ephesus. And today, I just want to focus in on one verse, but it's an amazing verse. What a verse it is. It comes at the end of Paul's prayer for the Ephesians in chapter 3. So we're going to read that prayer, and then we'll just look at verse 20. Actually, it's two verses, 20 and 21, I think. Two verses. Um, so we'll read that from verse 14. If you have a Bible, I'm reading from the NIV. Um, you can follow it in whatever version you have. The NIV is also on the screen. Paul says this. Actually, I'm, I'm going to read the whole passage, but that's just the verse we're looking at. Paul says, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And then this is the verse we're going to focus on. Now, to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask, or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Okay, so that's the two verses that we're going to look at uh, specifically today. Uh, Paul has a massive vision for the church. It's a massive vision for the church. And I hope that as the weeks have gone on and we've been looking at this letter that Paul's been writing, I hope that you've been getting hold of a massive vision for the church as well. Here in the Western world, and I would say maybe especially in North America, the church, as it's been portrayed as it is in the New Testament, has far too often become relegated uh, to just being a place to gather once a week, maybe on a Sunday to be uh, entertained with great music and uh, technical ability, humorous, inspirational talks, but very little other than that. Everything gets organized and planned by the staff, uh, aspects of community, aspects of the great commission that we've been given by Jesus to make disciples of all nations. Some of those things have kind of uh, become less and less prominent. But Paul sees the church as being much, much greater than that. He's praying and he's believing that we will be a people who are filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And this huge vision has caused him to get on his knees 
and pray because he sees the need for God's power to be at work in and through us so we can truly be the people who God calls us to be. That's what we were looking at really the last time I preached, just that whole disconnect between the great vision that God has for us and the great calling he has on our life and then the reality of who we are, that we're just ordinary people. And so Paul says, for this reason, I'm praying. I'm praying. And it says he's getting on his knees to pray. I wonder how you pray uh, most of the time. Do you set aside time to pray alone? Do you set aside time to pray together with others? Um, do you just do you pray when you're doing the groceries? Uh, do, you do, do you pray when you're doing the snow blowing or, or mowing the lawn? Do you pray when you're driving the car? I hope if you do that you don't shut your eyes for that one. Um, all perfectly good ways to pray. All great times to pray. I do uh, all of those things. But there are times when what we're praying about is so huge that we have to get down on our knees and really cry out to God. That's a kind of praying that Paul is praying. He's like, I'm on my knees here. I'm calling out to God because this is what he set before me and we just need God so much. That's what Paul is doing. But then in verse 20, Paul switches. He switches his focus away from the church, away from the calling we have, away from the prayers that we're pr he's praying and he's focusing on the character of God who we're praying to. He's switching his focus to look at God who we are praying to. The God who is the answer to all the needs that we have. And he says, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. It's important. It's important that we do that as well. We've got to keep reminding ourselves of who God is, who this God is that we're praying to. Because sometimes the issues that we're facing, the problems that we've got, the difficulties, the troubles, the struggles, they can all just be overwhelming. They can be overwhelming. But if we can be reminded just how great, just how big, just how awesome God is, then we see things in a different light. I don't know if you've ever been to the Rockies. Who out here, uh, who here has ever seen the Rockies in person? Yeah, maybe uh, about 10, 15 people seen the Rockies in person. We had the privilege of going the other year uh, out to Calgary, and then we drove through the Rockies, and we drove to Vancouver. And, you know, it's incredible. You're driving through these mountains, and they're towering over you, and you're like, they are so huge. Never seen anything so huge before, and majestic, and lakes, and just overwhelming and you just think wow incredible and then we went to Vancouver and then we flew back from Vancouver and we flew back home so we flew over the Rockies and when you're flying over the Rockies you see things in a different perspective because suddenly they're below you and they're so small in comparison you're up high and there they are still look amazing but their perspective is completely different. They seem small in comparison. And sometimes things can look different depending on the perspective with which you're looking at them. Are you looking at the challenges that you face? Are you looking at your life? Are you looking at the difficulties that are going on, the, the things that you're really battling with? Are you looking at them from the perspective of the ground and thinking, wow, those are just huge? Or are you getting a view from the air? 
Are you getting a view from a different perspective, maybe from God's perspective? Paul knows he needs a heavenly perspective. <laughs> Someone's wanting me to share their password, the Wi-Fi password. There we go. Paul, <laughs> Paul knows that he needs a heavenly perspective, a view from the air. So he's reminding himself and he's reminding the Ephesians about just how mighty God is. We can do this when we pray. We can do this ourselves when we come to pray. That's why when we, when we come to pray, and we're going to do that this evening, we'll gather together and we'll spend some time praying, but we pretty much always worship God beforehand. And it's not just to fill some time. It's not just because we like to sing a few songs. Um, you know, it's because we need to remind ourselves of who God is. And we need to worship him and we need to glorify him for who he is himself. And, and we're not just going to think, oh, well, I, I tell you what, let's just sing... Let's sing Oh Holy Night, because it's nearly Christmas time. I mean, it's good to sing some Christmas songs focusing on the birth of Jesus, and we sang some great ones this morning. But, but we're not going to come and sing Oh Holy Night, um, much as I love singing that song, and I'm really looking forward to it. And Angela, are you going to do it Christmas Eve? Because <laughs> it's so powerful. Um, but but we're, going to, we're not going to be singing to the night tonight. We're going to be singing to God. And we're going to be singing, I don't know what we'll sing, we're going to be singing songs like, How great is our God, name above all names. Our heart will sing. How great. We're reminding ourselves of who God is. We're reminding ourselves of the things that he's done. We're reminding ourselves of the things that he can do and will do. And then we can come and pray, and we're praying with faith. We're praying with faith because we've told ourselves, yes, this is who we're coming to. This is who can answer our prayers. Paul has been praying an outrageous prayer, an outrageous prayer. I wonder if we would ever pray such things for the church. He's been praying they'd be rooted and established in love, that they grasp, they'd have the power to grasp how wide the love of God is, how high it is, how deep it is, and how high it is. It's a huge prayer, and Paul's got the faith to pray it because he knows who this God is that he's praying to. But then Paul says something equally amazing. He reminds us all that God is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. He's praying some big prayers, but he's saying, God, you can do even more. There's things that I can't even get my head around to pray to you. I can't even imagine the things that you can do, but you can do them anyway. Did you know that it's impossible to pray a prayer asking God to do something that he's going to struggle to do? He can do more than we can ever ask him to do. And Paul can imagine some pretty incredible things. In chapter 2, verse 19, he's imagining the church becoming a holy temple in which God lives by his spirit. He's imagining people where, coming where the church meets and impacted by the power of God because God lives there among his people. In chapter 3 and verse 4, he's imagining the church being a place where things that have been hidden for generations have been made known. He's imagining unity between Jew and Gentile, often opposed to each other, but he's imagining unity together in one body, the church. In, in verse 10 of chapter 3, he's imagining the wisdom of God, the manifest wisdom of God being made known to rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms through the church. He's imagining some amazing things, but he knows God can do even more than that. He knows God can do more. What can you imagine 
God doing here amongst us in Fredericton? What can, you, what can you imagine him doing? Can you imagine revival coming to Fredericton? Can you imagine God's power at work? Can you imagine people in their thousands turning towards Jesus here in this city, repenting on their knees before God, coming to worship him? Can you imagine each night on the, de- on the CBC News, them, them giving a, the headlines and they're saying, oh, there's revival news now. We're going to give news of what's been happening in the revival. That's what used to happen in revival. Can you imagine the Daily Gleaner, front page? This is what's going on in the revival. Can you imagine it? Can you imagine people being overwhelmed by the, the, the power and the presence of God when they're, when they're driving so they have to pull over their vehicle because so they can't keep driving because the Spirit's presence among them is so powerful. That happened just a few years ago. It used to happen. I've known people that happened to. Maybe some of you weren't born then. Maybe some of you have never experienced it. Can you imagine it? Can you? Can you imagine this building getting packed so full that people have to show up super early just to get a seat? Some of you can't even imagine being able to wrangle your kids in time to get here on time. (laughs) Never mind. Can you imagine? God can do immeasurably more. Whatever we pray, whatever we imagine, whatever we call on God to do, God's hearing us and he's saying, do you know what? That's too small a thing. It's too small a thing. I'm going to do more. I'm going to do more than that. So it's good to pray, but God can do more than we pray. I was reading uh, last week about a church in Louisiana, and they've been struggling uh, after COVID, just as many churches have done uh, over these last two years. And so they just carried on praying, and they carried on being faithful and preaching the gospel and worshiping together, and they began to see people getting saved. And so they would baptize them as we're told to do. And the more they baptized people, the more they had others coming and saying, do you know what? I'd love to get baptized too. So, okay, well, we'll baptize next week as well. And then people would come that week and they'd say, oh, they get saved and, and, and come to encounter God. And so then they would be baptized. And some weeks they had one person being baptized. Apparently some weeks they had up to seven people being baptized. And now it's 58 consecutive weeks, 58 consecutive weeks that they've had people being baptized. And the pastor in this article that I was reading said, you know, people had heard about it and they were, they were coming and other church leaders were coming and they were saying, you know, what is it that you're doing? What is it that you're doing that, that is making this work? And, and the pastor said, you know what? He said, I have to tell them they've got to understand something. This is a God thing. This is a God thing. This isn't us doing anything different. This is what we've been doing all along. But now God is doing something. We can't make people respond like that. Maybe they asked God for salvations and baptisms, but my guess is he's done more than they asked or imagined. Just imagine Paul's situation when he was writing this letter. Because we're viewing this from 2,000 years on. But imagine what Paul, where Paul was, what he was, his context when he was writing this letter. The church was in its very early days, really early days, The first generation of apostles was all still alive. Paul had no way of knowing whether or not the church would continue. Humanly speaking, he had no way of knowing whether the church would continue after these apostles had all died out. It could have easily become a distant memory. People might have moved on to something else. He doesn't know what we know now. He didn't know what we know now. His perspective 
what he saw was extremely limited. Jerusalem, where the Spirit was first poured out and the church began, was around 25,000 people. 25,000, about a third of the size of Fredericton. And Paul prayed that the gospel would go to the ends of the earth. And for Paul, all he knew of geography was the ends of the earth was Spain. And he wanted to go there because he's like, the gospel's got to go to the ends of the earth. And so he's like, I want to go to Spain. Do you know what? He never made it. He didn't make it to Spain, as far as we know. But God did more than he could ask or imagine. There was more of the world than he knew. And God did more. Right now, almost 2.5 billion people on earth say that they are followers of Jesus. 2.5 billion. And it's continuing to grow. Could Paul have imagined that? Could Paul have imagined that the entire way that we measure time, the dating system that we have would be centered around the birth of Jesus? Could Paul have imagined that, really? We know all these things. We kind of take them for granted. We have a far greater perspective than Paul ever had. But Paul prayed and he knew God could do more. So we have all the more reason to express confidence in God's ability to do more than we could ever ask or imagine. Because we've had 2,000 years of history to see what he'd done. God is the one who is able. He's the one who has all power. That's how Paul sees God. He says in Romans chapter 16, verse 25, Now to him who is able to establish you in accordance with the gospel, be glory forever through Jesus Christ. God is able to establish you in the gospel of grace as we trust in him, as we receive his love and power and forgiveness. God is able to bring all nations to believe and obey him. Uh, we can look at the world and we can see pretty oppressive things going on in the world right now, but God is able to overturn governments. God is able to overturn the power of the media, different religions, different ideologies, different political systems, oppressive dictatorships. He's able to make them all bow down before him. He's able to do that. Do we believe that? God is able. So we need to trust God as we pray to him. We, believe, we need to believe what the Bible tells us that God is going to do. And we need to believe the promises that he's given us personally as well, either personally, individually, or corporately as a church. It, 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 that belief affects how we see these things. A view that is able that God is able, affects how we approach prophecies and promises that God has for us. Look at Abraham. Look at Abraham in the Bible and how Paul describes him in Romans chapter 4. Paul says, Abraham, against all hope, Abraham in hope believed. Against all hope. It's hopeless. Hopeless. But Abraham believed in hope. Abraham had a promise that he would be the father of many nations, father of many nations, many descendants. But he was very old, and he didn't have any children at all. And his wife was very old, and she was barren. And every morning he would look over the breakfast table and he would see the reality of the situation as he ate his cornflakes, or whatever he ate. He says he faced the fact 
that his body was as good as dead. And he faced the fact that Sarah's womb was also dead. But it says, yet he did not waver. He did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God. But he was strengthened in faith. And he gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. He was fully persuaded, God is able. My body's a wreck. My wife's body is not what it was. I mean, you know, she was actually pretty attractive because <laughs> the people, <laughs> maybe I shouldn't go down there. There's all sorts went on with Abraham. Abraham wavered in lots of things. He wavered in lots of things. He would go, he would go traveling and he would, he'd be like, hmm, Pharaoh's going to want my wife. He did. He did want his wife. She, was, she must have been pretty hot. Anyway, uh, <laughs> 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 he pretended he was his her sister, Abraham. But but he didn't waver. <laughs> Taylor's like no. <laughs> Let's start the tape again from here. He didn't waver in regard to the promise. He didn't waver in regard to that. He, wa he wasn't an overly strong man in and of himself. He had his flaws. He had his weaknesses. He did all sorts that he shouldn't have done. But he didn't waver in regard to the promise of God. He believed God was able. He believed God was able to do what he said he would do, despite all the evidence to be the contrary. And God did it. And God did even more than Abraham could ask or imagine. Abraham couldn't have even imagined the church. But God did it. We have promises from God. We have promises as individuals, maybe. And we've definitely got promises as a church that we're believing for. We need to hang on to them. We need to believe them. Let's not forget them. Let's not dismiss them. It's good to remember the promises that you've got, the prophecies that you've got. It reminds me of a story that I heard about a church leader in our family of churches, and uh, he had a bit of a wicked sense of humor. He was once on a plane and, uh, with another leader from America, and there was severe turbulence going on on this plane. You know, it was like shaking like crazy, and this, this American church leader was like, oh, my word. And uh, the, 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 uh, the American guy said to him, the sort of things that sometimes people say, in these situations, if you're, if you're a Christian. Uh, he said, oh, um, Martin, do you have any unfulfilled prophecies over your life? It was kind of that kind of thing, like, if you've got an unfulfilled prophecy over your life, I know we're safe. <laughs> Plane's not going to go down. But this guy, Martin, and he's got a bit of a, uh, he's got a sense of humor, and he's quick, and he quickly responded, and he said, oh, yes, 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 I do. He said, I've got a prophecy that I'm going to be the sole survivor of a plane crash. <laughs> <laughs> when we have promises over our lives, I just like that story. It doesn't, doesn't really fit. When we have promises over our life, we have to be like Abraham and not waver in believing them, no matter our circumstances. As a church, we have prophecies and promises about seeing word and spirit churches in the family of churches that we belong to being planted and established in the 12 university towns and cities in Atlantic Canada. 
And we had that given to us by God maybe 10 years ago? 13 years ago. 13 years ago. Currently, you could say we've got three and a bit. We've got ourselves. We've got the church in Wolfville, who, who we're in relationship with. They were already established, but we've worked with them and helped them, and, and we're in relationship. There's a church in Charlottetown who relate with us. We've got a very small group in St. John's, Newfoundland. We did plant a church into Charlottetown. It didn't work out, and to be honest, it ended up being very painful for everyone involved. We planted one in Halifax. It didn't work out. It was painful. It was disappointing. It was discouraging. It, we've got to be real about these things. That, that's the reality of the situation. But if we're not careful, we can let this pain and this disappointment and the discouragement cloud what God has said he's going to do and doubt what God has said he's going to do. Well, we can look at our church, our own church, and we can see people gathering here. And I don't know how many are gathering here today. Maybe a hundred in here right now, 120 maybe, I don't know. In 2015, we had 230, seven years ago. So that's the facts. We face the facts. We face the facts as Abraham faced the facts. But what are we believing for? What are we in faith for? Do we believe that God is able to do what he said he's going to do? Do we believe that he can and will do that and more than we ask or imagine? You say, well, yeah, we believe them, but where's the evidence? No, God is able. We need to stir ourselves to have faith in God for ourselves and for the church because God is able to do more than he can ask, that we can ask or imagine. And Paul goes on and he says, according to his power at work in us. According to his power at work in us. The two major themes throughout this letter to the Ephesians, I could test you and see if you know what they are after all these months, uh, but the two major themes are the church and the spirit. Those are the two major themes that weave, you see it all the time in different words being used all the way through the letter to the Ephesians. The church, sometimes described by Paul as a, a body or a temple or a building or the bride, the Holy Spirit, sometimes talking about God's power, his ability to do more than uh, to do things, you know, that's all the way through. In New Testament thinking, you cannot have the church without the power of the Spirit. The two go together. You can't separate them out. I know some churches try and do that today. Well, no, we don't really see the power of the Spirit working in the same way. Look, that's not what we see in the New Testament. And, and we need God's power. We only need to look at the church. We only need to look at ourselves to see that we need God's power. Not as though we don't. God's power is at work in us. What will make all of these things happen that we're imagining and asking about and the things that we can't even ask or imagine about is God's power, the Holy Spirit. That's what's going to make it happen. But it's not something that just happens out there. The power is not something that just happens out there. It's God's power at work in us, in us. We're not just praying that God will do something apart from us. We're not just saying, oh God, God, will you bless the people out on Dune Street and Wilson Row? God, will you bring them to know your love? God, will you save them? We're not just praying that and then just staying here and shut away in our nice building that we've got and just saying, well, let it happen, God. No, God uses us. 
God uses us to do it. And he works in us and through us by the power of his Holy Spirit. So we do all sorts of things. I'm going to mention the, the one that we particularly do in that area. We run Kids Club. And so people in the church give freely of their time and their energy and their gifts. And we, we visit families in their homes and we love the kids and we preach the gospel to them here on a Saturday morning and we pray that God will be at work in them and through us as we talk to them and we pray for healing if people are sick and we share with Jesus, Jesus with them uh, appropriately. And then some of them, as they get older, because we've been running this for five years, they believing that they'll still be involved with us. And they start to come along, and they have started coming along to fuel. And sometimes it can be a little awkward and tricky, um, but we pray God's working in us as they come. That's just one example. There are many others. God's power is at work in us. It's not just out there. It's not just out there. I mean, sometimes we can think, oh, God's power's at work in us, so God, you need to change us to become some sort of superhero. We need to change from being Clark Kent to Superman, and we need to change from being Peter Parker to Spider-Man. I don't even know who some of the, who, who was, who was Batgirl? I don't know. Do they have other names? I have no idea. But we sometimes think that that's what we have to do. That's not what God does. God's supernatural power is at work in our ordinariness. I tell you, God's power is at work. As the kids come through the door, God's power is at work as we say, oh, it's so good to see you. So good to see you here today. Even if we don't recognize them like I don't half the time and don't (laughs) don't know their names, you know, that's when God's at work as they come through the door. I'm believing that God's at work in the family yesterday. Yesterday we had a family. The kids have started coming. This family have had many, many struggles going through a a really hard time. And we know that because we go and visit them. And some of our team have been visiting them for many years. And their kids didn't even come for many years. And we just felt, we've got to keep visiting them because there's good conversations happening. So even though their kids aren't coming, and and now they come. Now they come because we we started taking a bus just around the corner. to to They never walked. They never just walked. So we said, we're going to take a bus to their doorstep. And, and And it costs us some money to do that. And, and we might think that's ridiculous. They can walk. No, we're going to go. Their kids have started coming. They're coming every week. Oh, my word. And they're such a sweet family, but they're, they're struggling. And one of them yesterday, I went back on the bus with him. And, we, and it was someone's birthday, and, the, and, and we got some birthday cake. And we, everyone got some birthday cake. And he got off the bus, this little boy. And he said, I, I dropped my cake. I dropped my cake on the way to the bus. And I didn't have any more on the bus. And I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry. And his little face. So we came back here and we cleared everything away. And then I saw there was, there was five pieces of cake left. And I said, I'm going to take them a piece of cake. And Emma said, take them all. Take them all. So I went round and I knocked on their door and I said, hey, your son, he's, he said he dropped his cake. Oh, he did. He did. He's really upset. I said, well, he's got five now. <laughs> and their face. And I'm Billy. And that was it. I mean, I didn't stop and say, by the way, this is an example of the grace of God. <laughs> said, enjoy your cake. I'm believing, I'm praying that they'll see that as one example of the lavish grace of God. Just ordinary stuff. Ordinary stuff. 
God's at work in our ordinary stuff. God's at work in us sitting and doing craft with kids in our kitchens when we've had a busy and a stressful day and we don't feel like we've got anything else to give. Believe it, God's at work. God's at work in you. He's at work in our offering to pray for people when they're struggling. He's at work in the day-to-day things because God isn't ordinary. And we're looking and believing for God to come and move in power and do more than we ever ask or imagine. The power that is at work in you, the Bible tells us, the power that is at work in you will bring nations to the obedience of faith. Nations. Power that's at work in me? Yeah. And that's what's happened over the last 2,000 years. That's it. God doesn't have another plan that we know of. He might do, but we don't know of it. It's God's power at work in you and me. And it's in the ordinary stuff. It's the church. Paul says we've been marked with the seal of the Holy Spirit, a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. We've got a deposit. What we have now is a taste of what's to come. So we can grasp hold of what we have now and we can say, God, give us more. More of your power to be at work in our lives. We've got a deposit. We want to see more, God. It's not just the Holy Spirit coming in our lives. It's not just something happening to us. It's not just us gathering together and saying, oh, that's made me feel all kind of warm and fuzzy. No, no, it's, it's not just about a great experience of God, although we can have that as well. It's about something that's going to be working through us and out to others. So we can come to this building, and, and it's good to look back and see what God's done in our history, 20-odd years we started with a handful of people and no building. And we, we had a f- handful of people who had the faith to invite Dave Fellingham and his band to come over and play an evangelistic concert, as far as I'm understa- I understand it. And, and I don't think we had the money to pay for his flights, which, which disconcerted Dave a little. <laughs> and now God's given us this building. And he's been at work in and through us. We have this building. We don't owe anything on this building. We own it outright. No debt on it. And we've got tiny homes being built in there for the community. I mean, we're not building them, but we're partnering with them to help them build them and see the community and Fredericton be blessed. And I would imagine it's more than anyone who was here 20 years ago could have asked or imagined. I think it is. And now we have new challenges. We have the challenge of seeing this building being renovated. And we want to work on the room upstairs. We talked about it the other week. We want to work on the room upstairs. So we've got kids' programs running on Sunday mornings. Other activities taking place. We want to get a kitchen put in somewhere in the building. It's all going to take money. So we're going to pray and we're going to ask God. But you know what? I believe God's going to do more than we can ask and more than we imagine. But it's going to be God's power at work in us that makes it happen. I believe we're going to be able to give more than we could ask or imagine. I believe we're going to see financial miracles in our lives so that we've got the ability to do that. In the same way that the Macedonian churches, when they were in extreme poverty and an extreme trial, it said it welled up in rich generosity so that they could give as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. We're going to give what we can. And then they said, oh, my word, we've been able to give more than we thought. That's more than we can ask or imagine. God's going to do things among us, in us, through us, 
Do we believe it? Sometimes it, it doesn't look like it. It's like Abraham. It doesn't look like it. Our bank balance is week, month by month going down bit by bit. Our n- numbers are falling. The church plants have struggled. No, we hold on to God. We hold on to God. We believe that his power is and will increasingly be at work in and through us. And God's calling us all to be involved. All of us. We have to give ourselves in pressing into everything that God has called us to. And that means getting out of any spectator mentality that we might have. Because it's easy to be a spectator. And it doesn't take energy or commitment. And it's easy to sit back and just see what happens and go along for the ride. But, but when you're a spectator, it, it's usually easy to talk about what others should be doing rather than actually getting involved. Tim, Tim Bicknell and I have been doing this, <laughs> not with the church, but we've been doing this over the last few weeks with the Soccer World Cup. We've been watching England play. We watched a bit of Canada when they were in it. Um, and England went out yesterday. But we've been watching, and as we watch, we've, we've been commenting, and we're like, why is that player on the field? Why have he chosen that? Why is he playing like that? Why are they getting him to do this? They should do it like this. But we're not involved. We're not involved. And usually we end up being proved wrong. We, we were saying they should take, take that player off. He's useless. He goes and scores two goals in the next few minutes. Because spectators end up being critics. Spectators end up being critics. God doesn't want to gather spectators or critics, even worse, in the church. God wants participants. He wants to use us in doing more than we could ask or imagine. He wants to fill us with his power as he does so. I mean, it would be wonderful if one day hundreds of people started just walking in without us having to do anything at all. If angels had suddenly appeared to them all, giving them dreams in the night, it would be amazing. It would be amazing if suddenly we had 12 churches in Atlantic Canada with no one making any difficult or costly decisions to actually go and move somewhere else. It would be wonderful. It would be so exciting if God suddenly dropped a bag full of $1 million in our bank account or in the building. But I don't think that's how it's going to happen. I just don't. He's going to do it through us. And as he does, we'll be changed by him. And we'll find fulfillment in him. And and we might feel powerless, but God's power is at work in us. And he encourages us keeping, being filled with the Spirit. And finally, the glory is going to go to him. The glory is going to go to him. Paul ends this verse by saying, to him be the glory in the church. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. What's going to give God glory? When we obey him, when we believe him, when we walk in faith, when we believe what he says, when we lay down our preferences, when we say, do you know what, God, it's all for you because you gave it all for me. Paul's praying big prayers for the Ephesian church, but he's not doing it so people will look and say, what a great church. He's doing it so people will look and say, what a great God. What an awesome God. Because that is entirely appropriate. Because what did we contribute anyway? Paul's already told us we were powerless. We were dead in our sins. We were lost. We were apart from God. We were without hope in the world. We couldn't bring anything to the table. And then God came to us through Jesus. 
and he rescued us, and he forgave us, and he reconciled us to the Father, and he adopted us into his family, and he filled us with his mighty power, and he sent us out to proclaim his greatness and do mighty works for him, and he continues to be at work in us. Of course all the glory goes to him. Of course it all goes to him. Paul says in Romans 11, from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. We want to believe this. We want to believe that God can do far more than we can ask or imagine. So let's test him in it. Let's come together. Let's pray. Let's come this evening and pray some big prayers. Let's believe that God can do more, even more than we ask when we get before him and we cry out to him. Why don't we stand together before we before we close and we worship God. We're going to sing a song. We haven't sung it for a while. God is able. Because he is. He is. I believe God's calling us to faith in him in this. To get a view from above instead of a view from down here below. But I also believe God's causing us to reflect and make some decisions about our life maybe. It might be decisions about how we spend our time. It might be decisions about how we use our money. It might be decisions about our attitude to the church. And really, it's not for me to tell you what those decisions should be, because that's just pressure. It's God's. But as we approach 2023, maybe this is a good time to reflect and reevaluate things in our lives. Maybe it's a time to make some decisions, which might be difficult, which might be costly, but that we have a, just that sense that God's calling us to. Father God, I just want to pray this morning that you will come and you will encourage us in you thank you god that you are so mighty so awesome you can do more than we can ever get our heads around thank you for all you've done thank you for all you've done in 20 some years but lord we're still holding on to some things we've still got some promises from you and lord humanly speaking things are not looking great doesn't look like we're on track oh god you're never off track 